0: My name is Daryl Robinson. Some of you I've met, some of you are part of a small group or a community group that they're all oh, they're here, they're here. Uh, And uh, Joyce, my wife Joyce and I, I'll show you photos a little bit later of them. Uh, We're just happy to be a part of what Abundant Life is doing, and more importantly, a part of what you guys are doing here at Paradigm. So last week I came, many of you may have saw me, I sat over here with Lloyd and got a chance to hear Chad share his message. But prior to coming in here, I'm hanging out in the lobby, and I'm going over to the water, uh, get get a cup of water, and this gentleman walks up to me with a lanyard on, and he, he looks at me and he says, well, hi, how are you? I said, I'm fine, how you doing? He said, I'm, I'm great. He said, uh, now you know that the services tonight are for 21 to like, I said, yeah, yeah, I, I know that. he said, I just wanted to make sure, and, and you're here, I said, yeah. And so I felt the pressure. I didn't know if he was going to take me out right then. And so, and so here's what I did. I said, I, I need to drop a name. I need to drop a name. And I was going to say Jason Fenton, but I said, I've, I've used that name before. It didn't work well for me. So I, I said, you know, Chad. Chad asked me to come tonight. I want to kind of see him speak and uh, hear him speak, and, he, and I, I'm going to be speaking the next Tuesday. He said, oh, oh. And then right, right at that time, Lori comes up with his partner. They give me a big hug, embrace me, pull me away from the guy. I sneak in here, and I sit over there and enjoy the service. So for those of you in here tonight that are over the allotted age, I don't know how you got in. You might have used my name, but don't come back because this is just for a certain age group. So it's just great to be here tonight and, and uh, share a word with you guys. Born and raised right here in Kansas City, uh, down in what you guys would call the, I don't know what you would call it, it's the hood or the, or the inner city. And I, I said as a young man, just like you guys, I said, I would never live in the city that I grew up in. And I ended up living in the city that I grew up in but it's not a bad thing. This is a great city, it's a great town, and uh, my wife and I are happy to be here. Now speaking of my wife and I, I was told that one of the first things I should probably do is let you guys see who my family is. So I want them to put up there the very first picture. This is Joyce, my wife and I, otherwise known as Mama Joyce to some of you guys. And she, her and I have been married for over 49 years, looking forward to our 50th next year. And I would love to tell you, it was love at first sight. That was not the case. Second sight, not the case. Third sight, not, and I could go on for a few sights. It took us a while to truly fall in love. And we are more in love today than we ever were when we walked down the aisle and said, or she walked down the aisle to me and said, I do. And there we go, there we go, there we go, there we go. And, 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 and I say that, and I'm just not saying that. That's for real. That's for real. I, she tells me now that when she was uh, standing there looking at me, the thought crossed her mind, do I really love this guy? Little did she know, I was thinking the very same thing about her. Do I really love this woman? But God. God took two people who were coming from different backgrounds, different backgrounds spiritually, and melded us together into a wonderful and beautiful relationship. I would not be the man I am today if it wasn't for her in my life. So I love you, Joyce, and thanks for being here. And uh, that's where well, that's gone. So the next photo you want to see is uh, I have two sons, two wonderful sons. The first photo is my oldest son. Daman and his family, and a beautiful family, they're in college now with the oldest son. Uh, grandson has graduated from college, and they're just rocking it. They're having a great time. Many of you may know this, but may already know that Daman, uh, he works here. So he's in the graphics design department. So uh, he's just excited to, once again. We're excited to have him in Kansas City again. and more importantly, be at the church that we're attending. Our second son up here, look at that family, look at that. That's Justin, Justin Robinson, and those are our grandkids, and that little fat fella he's holding with the stripes on, not just out of prison, that's our (laughs) great-grandson, and I tell you what, those guys are just, they're a jewel, and Justin, I think he's here tonight. You know why I think he's here? Because a father knows and senses when their kids are around. So Justin, are you here tonight? All right, all right. So the reason I thought that he was here was because I saw the shape of his body when, he, when the, uh, the service was going on. I said, that looks like my son. And that's the neat thing about a relationship. God looks at the shape of our lives and still can call you his son and his daughter. You might be far away from God, but he still sees you just as you are and who you are. So that's just a little look at the family that we have here tonight. And I am blessed with... So this past weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, my wife and I celebrated Central High School's uh, class reunion of 1970. And so the class reunion of the 50 years, 1970, celebrated the uh, the weekend, and we had an awesome time. Now, for you math majors, you're saying 50-year class reunion, 1970, this is 22, you got the math wrong. No, we didn't. You guys use fuzzy math today. This is what we called it back then. We it was because it was supposed to be in 2020. Covid hit. They couldn't have the class reunion, so they moved it out to 2022. So a 50-year class reunion this past weekend. And not only did that happen because they moved it out, all of us there celebrating 50 years of coming out of high school. All of us there was also celebrating our 70th birthdays. So that's the neat thing about what they did by moving it out. So Joyce's birthday is coming up. She's going to be 70. I turned 70. And all those old people there, because they were old, we're not. All those old people were 70. And uh, I'm telling you what, it was seeing those people there, it was just like we graduated yesterday. Not so. Those people look like life in some cases, and I'm not, you know, getting on them, but life can take its toll on you particularly when you don't, I believe this, I believe that they'll say, well, Daryl, you know, you enjoy, you know, you, this, you got the DNA or that. That's all well and good. But I tell you what, there's something to be said by living a stress-free life, allowing God to the best of his ability to lead and to guide your life. Many of you here, I understand, are not married. And so for those of you that are married and not married and thinking about getting married and sitting next to the person you may marry, look at that person you're sitting next to right now. You're in your teens, you're in your 20s, and you're going to marry this beautiful woman or this handsome guy. Let me let you know something. Beauty has a shelf life. I just saw it this past weekend. And uh, and if you don't marry someone with, with, with character, you're gonna be disappointed because we're not always gonna look, and you're not always gonna look the way you look now. So find somebody that you can truly do life with. I gotta be honest with you, I didn't see this coming. Joyce and I have been at Abundant Life for a little, well over a year, a year and a half, going on two years and uh, never thought that I would be standing in front of anybody sharing the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, less known sharing my life. But God has a funny way of bringing things to pass that you may not think would ever happen. Now, Joyce would tell me that I knew this was coming, Darrell. I knew this was coming because God is not through with you yet. I believe that. I believe that even no matter what age you get in life, you can still learn and God can still use you. One of the side notes about our community group is we we are fortunate to have a number of young adult community groups. And I know sometimes they get together thinking they're going to learn from us. But I guarantee you we learn from them all the time. We learn from you. You have something to offer. You have something to give. And never, as Paul told Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. And that's the same thing in your life. So who is this man standing in front of you? getting ready to share a little bit of what uh, Pastor Chad shared as he talked about Thessalonians. Let me give you a little background. Somewhere around 1951, somewhere in that area, maybe beginning of 1952, a beautiful woman had an affair with a married man. And as a result of that affair, she got pregnant. At that point, at that time, In society, that was a stigma that nobody wanted to live with. And so she left the town that she got pregnant in and moved to another another city to have a baby. Now, there was options with that, even back then. That baby could have been aborted. But for some reason, she felt the need to have that child. And so as a result of that, a skinny, snotty nose child was born an insignificant child in so many other people's minds and lives that child could have been a statistic raised in the inner city single parent mother didn't learn how to drive but drove but but worked six days a week caught a bus took transfers you probably don't know what a transfer is on a bus but uh she got a transfer to go to her jobs Six days a week she worked. Six days a week she stood out in the cold, the rain, the snow, to provide for a child that she got and had out of wedlock. As if that's not enough, that child had to go through a lot of issues in life. Back in the day when you were born out of wedlock, you were called a bastard. And so you hear that often in your life. Also, as a result of that, that child had a stuttering problem, had to work on getting the first words or sentences out of his mouth just to have a conversation. But God, and so what was, what looked like was a disaster, looked like a statistic. God said, I know better than that. And so that child is standing up here in front of you today, grew up in a Christian home, we read the Bible every day. We prayed. We went to church. My mother was a model of an abundant and spirit-filled life that I had never seen before in my life. Not so much inside the four walls, but outside the four walls. She would share the gospel anytime the opportunity was there. I would go to watch her work and all she, not all, what she was was a waitress. And I would go to visit her on her job, and she would have somebody across the table from her eating a hamburger or whatever, and she's sharing the gospel. I would go visit her after I moved out, and we were married and had kids, and I would go to her house, and she still lived in the city. And I'd walk in there, there would be a drug addict or, or a prostitute sitting in the living room, and she's sharing the good news and the gospel with them. I was scared, but she wasn't. Back in the day, I guess it still happens a little bit today, Jehovah's Witness would come in the neighborhood and knock on doors. Most people, when they would come to their house, they would not open the door, not answer the door, or close the door on them. What did my mother do? She said, come on in. Come on in, honey. And I would sit there and watch her debate, and they would get up and leave and wonder what happened to them. That's just how good she was. But here's what happened to me and it may be somebody in this room tonight, I sat in church, we prayed, we read the scripture, we sang, but there was something empty in my life. There was still something missing. As a young man, I came to know Christ to the best of my ability that I thought, and I wanted to serve him, but I didn't really know how. And so as a young man, I got, this, I got this, this tension in my life. One side, I wanted to please you, God. I want to do what you want to do. But the other side, I was flat out living in sin. And I couldn't, and you shouldn't reconcile the two. And so I went for years struggling, trying to figure out what this Christian walk, this Christian life, this relationship with God is all about. And I couldn't find it in church. That's why you're so blessed here. You are so blessed. And I couldn't find it in church. So one day I'm sitting in church, just like you. And I looked around and I saw the people singing. I saw the people dancing. I saw the, you know, all this going on. And I said to myself, nobody else, but just to me in my heart, in my spirit, I said, God, if this is all it is to serving you, I'm finished. If this is all it is to serving you, I'm out of here. And I guess in a way I was saying, God, is this this all it is to my life? But he knew what he had plans for me. I guess in another way I was saying, I need to know you personally. I need to know you for myself. I guess I'm serving you through my mother. I guess I'm serving you through somebody else. I guess I'm relying on somebody else to intercede for me. Maybe that's what I'm doing. But I need to know, God. Are you here? I need to know, God, am I important? Am I important? And I guarantee, you that, I guarantee you that question that I asked 19 years ago, almost 50 years ago, some of you are asking that very same question today. You see people enjoying their relationship with Christ. You see people who you think are enjoying their relationship with Christ. And you're saying to yourself, I don't get it. I don't feel it, I don't understand it, I don't get it. I guarantee you this, God hears you. I guess what was missing in my life was the fruit that God wanted manifested in my life. I guess what was missing in my life was how to live and glorify Jesus. I could do church, I could pray, I could sing, I could even teach, but I still didn't know God. There wasn't a transformation in my life that would cause me to live differently. But in 1972, and I'm sure you guys hear some of these numbers and you're like, whoa. And I guess when I, they are bad numbers. I'm gonna, let me tell you what happened to me. So the other day I got stung by a wasp playing golf and I had to go to the care center because Joyce said there was some legions growing and she thought I needed to get it checked out. So I go to the Care Now Center and I, get my, and I sit there, and I, I had to fill out the application to be served. And so I got to the part that said, date of birth. And I said, okay, I'm cool. I'm going to type in my date of birth. It wouldn't take it. I said, okay. I said, okay, so what do I need to do? So I thought I could maybe scroll back by year. So I'm, going, I'm trying to go back by year. It wouldn't take it. At least it wouldn't take it for me. So then I realized the only way I'm going to get back is by going 12 months of 2021 12 months of 2020, 12 months of 2019, 12 months of 2018. Check that out. You know how long it took me to get to 1952? I was like, whoa, dude, you old. You old. And that was, that, that's when it hit me. That's when it hit me. But in 1972, in 1972, probably a month or two after I said that in my heart, I became part of a small group, a community group as you call it today. And in that group, that group took a young man who some people would say was militant, took a young man who was smoking dope, who every other word was MF, who, who, who was drinking on the weekends, took that young man and presented me with the gospel like I'd never heard it before. Now here's the deal with that. I, I'm sure I heard it, but I didn't hear it. There's a phrase in the scriptures that says this, he that have ears to hear, let him hear. And my prayer tonight, you might have heard everything I'm going to say tonight, but I'm praying that God gives you ears to hear what his spirit is saying to your heart. Because as far as he's concerned, nobody else is in this room but you. You can say, so and so, I wish they were here to hear it, or so and so needs to hear this. You might nudge somebody on the other side. But God is saying, the only person in this room that needs to hear this is you. So you that have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit of God is saying. And in 1972, God took and revealed himself to me in such a way that I said, Wow, you're real. You're real. I've been playing a game for too long. You're real. And took a, took a man who was cussing and smoking and drinking to a man that the very, very next day was carrying a Bible to the job, introducing and trying to introduce Christ to these guys. And what they told me was this, which was the strangest thing to ever say. They said, Darrell, we can't follow you down this path. You introduce drugs to us. We're good with that. But we're not going to follow you down there because this is probably just something you're going through. It's probably just a fad. And they realize after 50-something years, it's not a fad. And many of them have come to Christ as a result of that. But that doesn't end my story. I'm not going to tell you any more about it till the end of my message. Last week, Chad talked about, in 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, and he talked about Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. This is one of those letters where Paul is not talking doctrinal necessarily. He's not correcting any false teaching necessarily, but he is encouraging believers in their walk with God. He's encouraging believers who he had an opportunity to present the gospel to that are now suffering for the fact that they're trying to follow Christ. And Paul is having an opportunity to recall his experience with them and what it was like to serve them. And so, as Chad would say, if, I were to, if you were to label this message, I'll go back and tell you what it is. The title of this message would simply be this, Serving Others As You Serve God serving others as you serve God. And so what you're going to find as I share tonight, there's a message to you who are discipling, who are leading small groups, who are serving God by speaking into the lives of others. There's another message to you who are getting this fruit spoken into your life. You're getting people that spending time with you because you need to recognize what that is and what that can mean to your life. I could have been in a totally different direction, but God saw fit to bring somebody in my life to guide me and to lead me. You, some of you have a privilege of discipling others. Some of you have a privilege of leading small uh, community groups. Some of you are, are, are being a part of those groups because you are blessed to be in an environment where somebody can encourage you to move on with God. I guarantee you this. I'll tell couples when I counsel them to get married, I'll tell them one thing. i said, say, listen, marriage was never intended to be done alone on an island. I'm gonna tell you right now, serving Christ has never been intended to be done alone out on an island. You won't survive. You won't grow. You need to get in community. And so First Thessalonians, uh, Chad talked about that in the first chapter, about the things that Paul was sharing with them, how he's encouraged by them, and so forth and so on. Second Thessalonians, Paul goes right into the letter even deeper and had the personal relationship that he has with him. Talking about the fact, I'll tell you stories around it, then I'll give you scriptures uh, and jump to a scripture and story and scripture. I'm not going to bore you tonight. It shouldn't be boring, but I'm not going to ta- read every scripture to you, but... Paul had an opportunity to share with them, me coming to you was not in vain. It was not unproductive in your life. Even though in coming to you, we suffered. We suffered back in uh, Philippi. We got thrown in jail. We got beat up. Things got bad for us. I had to leave the city. But I also heard Paul is telling them that you guys went through the same suffering. That not only did the very people in your city come at you to persecute you but Jews came from outside of your city to do the same thing in your life he says you're suffering too and he said all of this I'm telling you is that the gospel came to you in much conflict I'm going to tell you right now we haven't seen anything yet you talk about conflict for us as believers and the church as a whole we haven't seen anything yet this thing, this enemy is real and the attack is real. And so the gospel that we're entrusted with is going to be in many cases presented in much conflict. And so Paul says in the fourth verse of that second Corinthians, uh, Thessalonians, sorry, he says this, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our, heart, our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, which is pretense or greed. God is witness. So the first point I want to challenge you with today is to ask you this. What's your motive? What's your motive in what you do? What's your motive when you disciple someone? What's your motive when you lead small groups? What's your motive when you speak into somebody's life? Paul didn't come to them in some, in some pretense. I'm not coming to you no more than a man that's standing here thanking God for his goodness in my life, and I want to share that with you. I got no other agenda from that. I told you earlier, I did not see this day coming, and I would have been perfectly happy with that. But God, what's your motive for what you do? Because man looks at the outward, the scriptures tells us, but God looks at our inner heart. So what that tells me is every so often we need to examine ourselves whether we're in the faith. Examine ourselves because I understand it. Guys, you are young people. I was, I was young at one time. I went to church looking for the girls. I went to church to see what was going on, what was happening. I went to church for so many other reasons, but the right reason. And I got it. God can take that and he can use it to his glory. But at the end of the day, when you want to be used for God, you want to make an impact for God, you want to change and help lives be transformed by God. You better check your motive. Check your motive. Paul went on to share a little bit about, he did not seek glory from men or from anybody else, even though he could have demanded that from them because he's an apostle. He had a title. He could have used that title, but he said, that's not it. That's not the case. But here's what Paul did say in verse seven. He says, but we were Gentile, We're gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives, because you have become dear to us. Point number two, are you willing to impart your life? See, it's easy to serve God when it doesn't take much. You can do it on a Zoom call. You can do it on a text message. You can do it on a phone call. It's easy to do that. What are you going to do? What will you do when the call comes at 2 o'clock in the morning and one of your partners, one of your friends is strung out? Is strung out at a bar, strung out in, in, in the streets. And he says, man, I need your help. Man, I, I can't get there now. I can't, I can't help you. And there's times you can't. But there's also times people, listen to me, you got to serve others. You have to serve others with your life. You got to be devoted to them. You got to be blameless before them. You got to be justly uh, right before them, and you got to serve them with your life. You got to be willing to go that extra mile, as Christ said. If they ask for your coat, be able to go the extra mile. So are you, willing, are you willing to impart your life onto others? Are you willing to sacrifice what you want to do, what you think is important at that time when someone else needs you? If we're going to make an impact, if we're going to make a change in someone's life, it might take us to impart our lives to others. Paul was encouraged by the fact that the Thessalonians received him and they received his word and they welcomed him and they were glad to see him and that was all good. He was encouraged by that because not only did they receive that word, but they, Paul said, you received the word not as word from men, but as truth, the word of God. And that's huge. But with that comes a commitment. He says in the 14th verse, he says, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. You also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. The gospel is going to receive opposition. Listen to me. The gospel is going to receive opposition. Everybody's not going to like it. Everybody's not going to agree with it. I shared a YouTube video with my wife the other day, and it was simply this. It was a, an Oprah Winfrey asking the question, do you believe that homosexuality is a sin? And this is who she was, and they, they, they put that caption there and had Oprah asking that question, but she was asking, and they went to Christian artists to answer that question. And I'm gonna tell you who they were. I'm not even gonna tell you who they were, probably should, but I'm not. And every Christian artist that was asked that question could not say it was a sin. And I said, Joyce, listen to that. I said, here's how the question was framed. Do you believe that homosexuality is a sin? If you have a problem answering that question, answer it this way. I believe the Bible. The Bible believes it is, so that's the answer to your question if you can't say it outright. But I believe the Bible, the Bible says it is, so that should answer your question. It really doesn't matter what we believe. If the word of God says it, if you believe the Bible and the Bible says it is, that should answer the question. But what Paul was telling them, number three is simply this. Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to suffer for those who are entrusted to your life? Sometimes they tell me, Darrell, you can get kind of heavy sometimes. You get kind of deep sometimes. You might want to lighten up, so I'm going to tell you a joke. No, I'm not. So, <laughs> but this is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. And the fact that you guys are here tells me you're serious. There's a lot of other places you could be tonight than sitting here on a Tuesday night. There's a lot of other places. I would say, and I have said multiple times, churches, you, you can't imagine what churches would give to have an auditorium full of young people like this. This is crazy, but it's crazy good because this is just the way God sees it. This is just the way God envisions it. But are you willing to suffer? Because it's good, Chad said it last week, you can put it on here, you can put on that act here, gonna be all good here, but what are you going to do out there? And I'm going to tell you this, you want to see the move of God, the miracles of God, the power of God, it's going to happen out there. This is not a slam or a bad thing, but this, not much happens in the church. You are the church. You are the church. One of the things you used to do, young people, by part of their witness, but that's not the case here. I know I've been around too many of you guys. Sometimes in church it's like you're witnessing to a friend of yours and all you're trying to do is get them to church. Listen, man, I tell you, your life can be different, da, da, da. You should come to church with me. Listen, see, you know, and you talk to him, try to get him to church. You got to get him to church. The pastor will do it. Chad will do it. Pastor Phil will do it. Somebody will get him. But you have the power. You have the ability. You have what God, God has placed in you part of his DNA. God placed in you part of him, part of the same God that holds the universe in place, part of the same God that spoke this planet and this earth in existence, that same God that sent his son, that same God who raised his son from the dead, that same God put a part of him in you through the presence of his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm leaving. I'm sending someone else to be with you, not to walk behind you, not to walk beside you, not to walk in front of you, but to live within you. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you've got? Probably said differently, the greatest person on this planet is the Holy Spirit, and wow, he's in you. How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? And it's way more than feelings. It's an acknowledgment, acknowledgment to say, God, you're with me. When Paul talked to the Thessalonians, he said something that was interesting. He referenced them like a mother looking over their children and as a father looking over their their kids. Sometimes that's a relationship they need from you. They need you to love them and and to hold them accountable and do whatever you need to do in their lives just like that. Sometimes you have to love people beyond them being lovable. But you can do it because I already told you how. The fruit, as I told you earlier, that I was missing in my life, one of the fruit of the Spirit is love. So I recognized that I couldn't love certain people, but that was okay, because he could. And if I decreased or I allowed him, the Holy Spirit, to love them through me, it takes care of a lot of stuff. takes care of a lot of my hang-ups. Letting him, I don't have patience, but that's okay because I know who has patience lives within me. And if I stop trying to work it up and allow him to do what he wants to do in my life, he can work that patience in me. Self-control. And I'm just hitting a couple of three. Self-control. I know people who most of their life say they don't have self-control as Christians because of their heritage. One guy said, well, I'm Irish, and we don't have good self-control. I said, what does that have to do with anything? You're discounting who lives within you. He has self-control. And so, as Paul shared with them the trials he went through to speak to them, he even mentions one point that Satan hindered him from coming to see him. I told you before, it's going to be opposition. I'll tell you this way. We flat out have a real enemy. You know this. We flat out have a real enemy that would love to kill you and destroy your life. He would want to do that through drugs, through pornography, through, 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 through alcohol, through whatever. He would love to kill you. He would love to kill you. There's no if and, and buts about it. If he can figure out a way to take you out or to make you ineffective, he would. And he doesn't care that you're 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. He doesn't care if you're 21, 22, 23. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. I remember telling our small group one day, we were talking about some things, and I, just, I, just, I remember this because it was so passionate in me at that time. I said, we're flat out in a war. We are in a war. You didn't join a nice club. You didn't join a nice church to hang out with your friends and have a good time and to eat and to sing and all that stuff. That's great. But make no mistake, we're in a war. We're in a war with an enemy that's been doing this for a very long time. And so Paul says this in the 19th chapter. He says, for what is our hope? Our joy, our crown of rejoicing. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. The fourth thing I want to say to you is this. Be willing to celebrate how Jesus is using you. He says, wow, that's kind of weird or different. No. Paul was celebrating the fact that they were his glory. They were their glory. Uh, him and Timothy and those guys. Listen, it's nothing wrong with celebrating the fact that God is using you. That's one of the coolest things going. That's one of the best things going. And you celebrate that simply by saying, God, thank you. Thank you for seeing fit to use me to touch a life. Thank you, God, for, for seeing fit to put your word in my life and giving me the desire to share it with others. Thank you because I see lives change. Along my 70 years of living, practically probably the 50 years when I really found and walked with God, I look back at so many lives that God has allowed me to touch. To this day, I, there, was a, <laughs> there was a lady, I used to catch the bus to go to work, and, and, and it was the prospect bus, and I caught it at 63rd Street. And I remember catching that bus back in the late 70s. And I would have my Bible and I would be reading and there would be this lady that would be on the bus. And she would notice that I'm reading my Bible. And long story short, we started talking and we would go down there. And she would read and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And she ended up coming to the small group. She ended up getting saved. God transformed her life. I saw her about three years ago, and she is probably 69, 67, 68, and she mentioned that day. She says, I remember when you introduced me to God like I never knew before. I said, What? And she told me the story. The beautiful thing about serving God, and the beautiful thing about discipling people, is that those are your children. And Phil talks about this now. God is not in the addition at all. He's in the multiplication. And when it's so cool that you could disciple someone who can disciple someone, who can disciple someone, who can disciple someone, someone, those are your kids. Those are your grandkids. Those are your great-grandkids. Be happy for that. Rejoice in that. That's the coolest thing going. Be willing to celebrate how Jesus is using you because that should energize you that should set you on fire because that's the work of the gospel. That's the work of the gospel. I remember talking to a person the other day and some of you guys that are working, you get stressed out because of work and you're looking for it. You're looking for the right job. You're looking for the, to satisfy you and all that stuff. And I was just thinking, I said, there's jobs and there's work. When God created the heavens and the earth and, and, and created the Garden of Eden, he put Adam in the garden. He told Adam to take care of the garden, work. He said, work. Jesus said, I must work the work of him while it's day. That's work. If your ministry turns out to be a job, you're going to get frustrated. You hear people talk about, well, Christians shouldn't burn out. I think you burn out because it's a job. We do jobs because we get paid for something we don't like doing, but at least we get paid. When you do work, you're energized. You're fired up. You're never going to get tired. We were designed and made to work. And so serving others is work. Now, those of you that are being served, those of you that I'm not a a, a, a group leader, I'm not discipling anybody, I'm not doing this, but, hey, I pray that you are being led, being discipled. And if you're not, don't pass that up tonight. Don't pass up the opportunity to say, I need somebody to be in my life. I need somebody to lead, guide, nurture, hold me accountable. And if you're in this auditorium tonight, and you say, dear, I have no idea what you're talking about. Let me take you back to the tail end of my story. Because even as a young man, what God did to me that was great, and it was awesome, but I was still incomplete. Yeah, I grew up with a single parent. My mother raised me, but I never, ever met my father. For 60-something years of my life, I never even knew what he looked like. I got a name from my mother when I was in my 40s, and back then there wasn't the technology that they have today, and I tried to find him online and couldn't find anything. And then I visited my youngest son, Justin, one day, and he said, Dad, what's your your father's name? And I just told him. And he went and Googled, and he, he said, look at this. And he showed me a picture of him. The picture I saw of him was his obituary. And so I, for the first time in my life, had a glimpse of what he looked like. But as a result of not having him around, I never had a man speak into my life and tell me, Daryl, I'm proud of you. Daryl, you can do it. Daryl, here's how you treat women. Nobody was there for me. Never had a father's voice in my mind, and there was an emptiness I didn't even know I had. Now, I'm talking about my earthly father, but it also equates to our heavenly father. Some of you have not heard his voice. Some of you have an emptiness you didn't even know you had. I didn't know I had it. I thought I was cool. I thought I had it figured out. I thought if I ever saw him, I said to myself years ago, I said, if I ever saw him, I'm going to tell him I made it. I was successful. I did this and I did that without you. But I guess God never wanted me to tell him that. But I thought I was fine. Yeah, Psalm 68, the fifth chapter, simply says this He's a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. And he was. But in that, what sustained me, I told you before, we can't do this alone. What sustained me was God brought men to my life, some on a long-term basis, some for just a season. And these men said, Daryl, I see more in you than what you're doing. These men say, man, you're better than that. Some were Christian some weren't. But I was willing to listen to them. I was willing to try to hear what they had to say, what they had to tell me. And so as a result of that, a very simple story, Justin bought Joyce and I, 23 me. And when he bought the DNA test, it took us a while to even take it. Joyce failed the test a couple of times. No, for real. And we took the test. And so here's how this story wraps up. I'm thinking I'm good. So one day I was speaking at our church that I was attending, and this lady walks up to me and gives me a gift. This is going to answer all your questions. Okay, I don't know if I had any, but I'll take the gift. I get home that night, I open up the gift, and there's this book that says, Knowing God is Your Father. I said, God, I already know you as my father. You've been there for me. You've watched over me. I'm cool. But then I go to a meeting about three or four weeks later. A guy asked me to go to this meeting. We met with a guy that was one of the founders of fathers.com, and we're talking, and he's asked me questions. Back then, there was a racial tension going on. Daryl, you know, we need to look at this and do that. We need to come to the city and talk about Black Fathers Matter. I said, Black fathers, Fathers Matter. Not just black fathers. And, and, and the guy said, Daryl, tell him your story. And I told him my story. And the guy looked at me and said, yeah, you think you're all right. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. You think you got it together, but it's bigger than you. Your boys need to know. You got to unresolve things in your life you don't even realize you have. And he came at me hard. And I just felt like shut up and Listen. When the meeting was over, the other guy and I, we were driving back. He says, man, I'm sorry. I said, we're sorry for you. He said, man, he, he shouldn't have done that. We're not gonna partner with them. I said, I'm fine, I'm fine. Little did I know, little did I know, when I received the book over here, we're having this meeting over here. There's a text message coming in 23andMe app that said, hey, I see that our DNA is pretty high. There's a, there's, there's, it's close. Do you know these names? And she typed in these names. I said, if this name is so-and-so, that's my father. I know this might be a shock to you. And I said a few more things. She hit back and said, yeah, that was a shock. You mind if I tell my father, which would be my brother? I said, sure. I have no problem with that. And they called and we talked. July 2021, at the nudging of my son, we're going to go down to Shreveport, Louisiana and meet the rest of your family, Daryl. It was dad, you know, Daryl, but dad. One of the things about my boys that are sitting here is this. They have the right to speak into my life. If they see something that's going wrong, they, t- they call me out. They call their mother out too. <laughs> <They> call- <laughs> but that's okay because what I hope I did was I put in them what they needed. And so whatever they give back to me, I would have said the same to them. So we head down to Shreveport, Louisiana, and I sit there, and I meet siblings I never knew I had. Yeah, it was an affair that took place. A married man had an affair with my mother, and my siblings were apologizing for what took place. And I I said, it's okay. I said, it's okay, because if he hadn't done that, I wouldn't be here. And Joyce gets up and walks across the room. I said, If he hadn't done that, I wouldn't be married to him. God knows what he's doing, people. He knows just where you are. I got a chance to hear my father's voice for the very first time last year on a cassette recorder. I went to his gravesite. I reconciled things in my life that I didn't know were empty. That's on the natural, on the spiritual tonight. My prayer is that God reconciles things in your life, teaches you how to serve others with a pure and with with the right motive, teach you how to give your life to others, teach you how to rejoice when others come, how God is using you. As a result of that affair, you saw the pictures earlier, I got a flat out wonderful family. And I get to stand in front of you and tell you about the goodness of God. He's good. He's good. Don't you ever forget it. You don't have a job. You people who are discipling, small, you don't have a job. You're doing the work of the ministry. You're doing the work of the gospel. I just want you to, as I wrap this thing up, I thank you so much for listening to me and for hearing what I had to say. One of the things I I like to sort of wrap up, at least for this particular case, is I asked a question when I was 19, and God answered that question that never came out of my lips. Many of you are probably asking the same question. It may look like this. Am I loved? Am I valuable? And why am I here? Tonight, let me tell you something. You are flat out loved. He hasn't missed you. He has not missed where you are. And if you're here tonight saying, I can't make it another day, as I said earlier, the Spirit of God, give him ears to hear. If you're contemplating suicide, if you're thinking about running away from home, If you're asking the very question, this whole, whatever this is going on, I don't get it, God. I don't get it. Am I loved? Am I valuable? Why am I here? The answer comes through God our Father. Through the work of Jesus Christ, his son, he can flat out change your life. Father, today, I don't know where each of these people are in this room, emotionally and spiritually, these young people who are trying to get their lives worked out, who don't know anything, because if I lived this point in my life, I have realized this, I don't know anything. Father, today, I pray that your spirit, just as Paul said, I'm not coming with some fancy words. I'm not coming with some demonstration. But, Lord, by your spirit, pierce the hardness of their heart, the frustration, the I can't make it. Break through that. And allow them to take their next step toward you. If it's toward you and salvation, God, I pray that they will touch somebody, reach out to somebody, because there will be people here at the end of our service. If there's somebody that's saying, God, I need to know you, I'm messed up just like Daryl was saying. I got this emptiness, even though everybody around me thinks I got it together. I got this emptiness that only you can fill. God, I pray that you move them toward you because I know you will meet them where they are. Father, I thank you. I pray protection around these young people. And I just ask you to just fire them up, set them on fire for you. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.